there. I just want to say that you have got to be the most insipid, ridiculously idiotic, moronic person I've ever heard on any form of media. Exiled by society, friends, lovers, and terrestrial radio. A guy with literally nothing left to lose. For 15 years, he's been telling it like it is. This is the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. a.m. on a Monday morning, October 12, 2015. It's Columbus Day, everybody. Yay, get to celebrate that holiday for the noted rapist, pillager, thief, murderer. I mean, discoverer. I love it. <laughs> Oh, man. I mentioned the time because I was just reading before the show. There's apparently a study. Of course, there's a study for everything. For a long time, everyone knows that Monday is the most miserable day of the week, according to most people. And now they've narrowed it down to the exact minute. They say 11.17 a.m. is the peak of misery for most people during the week. Of, Of the 168 hours... The 11 o'clock hour, 11.17 a.m., the most miserable time. Now, by 2.35 p.m., the same study says people's attitudes cheer up and that it can be something as simple as hearing your favorite song on the radio or a stranger giving you a compliment or or having your favorite comfort food or whatever that can turn around the the day for you. Me, I'm I'm on my second cup of coffee. I'm actually not doing too bad. I'm... um, I'm feeling all right. My throat's a little uh, scratchy. Probably from drinking a couple of cups of coffee with uh, half and half in them and all that, but it's good. Here we are. All right. Now, uh, I got a lot of stuff to get into, a lot of things happening, but uh, I have to say, and I mention this because uh, it's one of those things that over the years I've become more passionate about. I... I don't know why it's just one of those few days on the calendar where it always reminds me of how we lie to our kids. And, you know, as adults, we lie to children all the time about different things. Now, a lot of the lies are fairly innocuous. They're benign. Things like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, they're well-intended. We give kids presents. It's it's fine. It's okay. Christmas, Easter, it's all whatever. There's some basis for St. Nicholas and all that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. It's not really based on a guy that rode around on a reindeer and dropped presents down people's chimneys and all that sort of thing. But there is, uh, that's, that's fairly harmless, I guess. Then there's always the lies that we tell them about society that are a little bit, well, they're a little bit more devious in the sense that, you know, all people have the same opportunities and life is fair. And, uh, 
that all people are created equal, which of course is not completely true because everyone has different intelligence. Everyone has different height and weight and has different genetics. And some people have cancer at age 20 and some people live to be 100 and some people are good people and some aren't, you know. So that's a little bit more devious, but still, you know, it's a well-intended lie. It's it's a well-intended sort of thing to let children know that, hey, you can still be whatever you want, even though that's not entirely true either. But one of the most egregious lies that we tell our kids, one of the things that we willfully and knowingly engage in when, as educators, as parents, as whatever, there's a lot of us that are guilty of this, and there's a lot of us that have been fed, spoon-fed this bullcrap for years, that um, Christopher Columbus was this happy-go-lucky, determined explorer that was just out there to prove people wrong, prove his fellow countrymen and the queen and all this wrong, that the world was not flat and was, in fact, round, and you would not sail off the edge, and that there were other lands out there, and he was going to prove it, and he was going to be a great discoverer and a great guy, and he's he's cool, and, um, you know, he was just an, a regular dude, and uh, he discovered America, and everybody lived happily ever after, and that's Christopher Columbus. And that's what we spoon-feed our fourth, fifth, sixth graders uh, in their introduction to world history about 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and... That's one of the most egregious lies we tell our kids because there is not well-intentioned there. It's, it's actually historically inaccurate. It has been proven for, well, the last century has uncovered so much about Christopher Columbus. And we still print in these textbooks that this guy was just, uh, oh, a good-natured explorer. And he was just out there to prove people wrong. And No. As it turns out, Christopher Columbus sailed well on his voyage discovered many different places including many of the islands in the caribbean or at least not discovered because people were already living there and that's the other sort of lie that we tell kids that he discovered places it's hard to discover stuff that people already knew was there people were already living there and yet you discover it it's like discovering somebody else's house oh yeah hey man i discovered your house yeah i know i've already lived here oh okay so he found these islands that uh, his fellow countrymen uh, and uh, people from Europe hadn't been to. And yet, uh, while going there, he gained the trust of many of the native islanders and native peoples of those lands. And then only to come back in later voyages after having their trust and then enslave those people, rape those people, steal from those people. And in many cases, he and his fellow crewmates murdered a lot of those people. Now, I understand that we can't just teach a kid uh, 9, 10, 11 years old. It's hard for them to understand the concept of rape and murder and thievery and general douchebaggery that Christopher Columbus was all about. But the fact is that as educators and as people, as adults, as responsible adults, do we really need to be just blatantly lying to our kids. It's one thing to tell them about Santa Claus or it's another thing to tell them about the sky wizard, Jesus, and all this other stuff. But when you start telling them about something that not only didn't necessarily happen, oh sure, Columbus was a guy who sailed out there. I mean, that's pretty much true. And that he did believe that the world was round and that there were people that believed it was flat and that he was out to prove them wrong. That part is 
eh, you know, mostly kind of true. But the rest of it, the, the good natured guy and the fact that we just conveniently omit that he raped people and stole from people and enslaved people. I think that that's uh, that he was something of a conqueror and an asshole. Uh, I think that that's something that we should probably at least maybe not in those exact terms, but maybe that's something we should either we should just take the whole Columbus thing out of the textbooks or if we're going to teach it, we should also say, hey, by the way, this we should probably put him on the same realm of people, the same sort of tier as Genghis Khan. You know, maybe we should put him on a, a level with. I don't know, Goebbels or Mussolini or somewhere a little bit below Adolf Hitler or Stalin. But, you know, definitely in a category of people uh, that is bad. History's greatest douchebags. He should probably be in the top hundred of history's greatest douchebags. Coming in at number 11, Christopher Columbus. Why not? Why, Why can't we do that? We could do the countdown of History's biggest douchebags. That's something we should teach our kids right there. The worst part about it is not only do we teach our children this sort of thing, but then we have a federal holiday for a guy who really didn't discover anything. Uh, A guy that raped and pillaged and did all these bad things. And yet we have a holiday for that. Why don't we just have dictator day on our federal holiday? We can celebrate all the greats of history. We can celebrate... uh, Napoleon <laughs> and Hitler and Goebbels and uh, and Stalin and uh, you know uh, Mussolini and all these other guys. We could celebrate um, the bad people throughout history. Why not? Hell, we could just throw in um, Charles Manson. We could just throw in a bunch of murderers. We could throw in a bunch of bad people. We could throw in. Uh, who Jerry Sandusky. Why not? We'll just celebrate all of the bad people of history and we'll put them all on one day. It'll be National Douchebag Day. So if we're going to have Columbus Day, why not? That's what we should turn this into. And I was just reading uh, another bunch of stuff about how there are certain cities that are uh, Native, uh, like I think uh, Native American Day or they're turning it into some sort of celebration of Native People Day which I think is much more appropriate because those are the people that ultimately got screwed uh, by Columbus and people that came after Columbus. So yeah, he was a quote explorer in a sense, but to, to just say that Christopher Columbus is an explorer is kind of like saying, yeah, Al Capone was an entrepreneur with very aggressive business associates. Okay. So that's Columbus Day in a nutshell. So let's teach that to our kids, all right? Uh, What else is happening? So I'm uh, looking at the ratings from yesterday's big sporting day. You know, it was a big uh, weekend for sports. First of all, the baseball playoffs are going on. The Cubs are in there. The the, uh, Astros have a two-to-one series lead over the Royals and all that sort of stuff. I'm I'm really actually rooting for a Royals-Cubs World Series. And uh, I'm not rooting for the Cubs to win the World Series. I'm sorry. I know they're the lovable losers. I know everyone wants to see the Cubs win. But maybe that's partly why I don't want to see the Cubs with that. And the fact that if the Cubs were to win, let's think about this. If the Cubs win the World Series, they're not the lovable losers anymore. They're just a team that finally, after 100 
107, what is it? It's been 107 years, right? After 107, 108 years, finally has won the World Series. And that's it. And they're not lovable losers. They don't have any identity anymore as, aside from, oh, a team that finally won something and then they'll go back to being mediocre or terrible for the next, I don't know, 100 years. So at least being a lovable loser, you have a tag. You're, you're always the perennial underdog. You're always the team that people are pulling for. But once that's over, then, well, then it's over. It's kind of like when the Red Sox won the World Series uh, in 2004. They had that curse of the Bambino and they, they had this sort of, you always wondered what was going to go wrong next for the Red Sox in the World Series. And now they're just another team and they're just kind of a team that routinely goes from being first to worst and sort of oscillates back and forth every few years. Eh, no real identity, just the Red Sox, just a, a big rivalry with the Yankees, but nothing really special about them. The Cubs have something special. They're losers, and their fans are just known to be drunk people that show up to Wrigley to party, and by the way, there's a baseball game going on, and uh, that's, you know, that's sort of like the harmless version of White Sox fans who are generally regarded as mostly felons who you probably don't want to actually go to a White Sox game wearing something other than White Sox gear. You probably just don't want to go to a White Sox game in general. That's probably the the overall rule. It might not have been the case 30 years ago, but that's definitely the case now. They call that place U.S. Cellular Field or known more aptly as The Cell for a reason. And then the NFL was on yesterday, of course. And I don't know, maybe you're feeling this as well. I know I am. I'm just not as into the NFL over the last several years like I used to be. And I can't really put my finger on one specific thing. It's it's kind of a culmination of a lot of things that's bothering me about the league and just the product in general. I used to watch a lot of games with my dad. He passed away in 2002. But I still watched the NFL and I was still passionate about it even after that. So I can't really blame that. Um, there, My friends don't really watch as much either. Uh, one of my friends has kids, and he has them every other weekend. He just got divorced, so there's that. You can't really watch with him as much, you know. So I, there's there's that. Uh, maybe maybe I just need somebody to watch with, or maybe I just need to go to a bar and watch. Maybe that would help me get into it a little bit more. But And it's not that I'm not watching games. It's just that I don't feel the same energy. I still watch the Cardinals. I, I'm, I mean, I'm wearing my Arizona Cardinals shirt right now as I do this show. So I'm still into it in in as much as I am a fan to a point, but I just don't have the same energy and the same commitment. And frankly, if I was doing something else, if I was engaged in something else, I wouldn't stop. I wouldn't make plans around watching a game. So I watched that Cardinals-Lions game yesterday, and eh, you know it was good, and I was glad to see the Cardinals go to 4-1, and one and they're, they're blowing out opponents left and right, and it's it's exciting in that sense. And then last night, I'm lying down and I sort of am dozing on, off and on while I have the uh, Giants 49ers game on. And it was actually an exciting game And uh, I know while I'm napping through it. But no, it really was actually a compelling game. It was very close. The Giants came back, had a, a big comeback for Eli Manning at the end of the game. And I figured an exciting Sunday night game like that probably had some pretty good ratings, but no, the, the ratings were actually down 11% last night, according to Nielsen, over the previous week. In fact, Sunday night football ratings in general this season have been going down. And 
I'm kind of perplexed by this. I'm thinking, well, maybe the matchups are just terrible. But there have been close games. Maybe they're not the greatest matchups, but they are. They've been generally pretty close games, pretty compelling games. So I don't understand. Like last night's game was pretty good, um, but I, I don't know. Maybe Colin Kaepernick is not exactly the kind of guy you just tune into to go. Man, I got to make sure I watch Colin Kaepernick. For the 49ers, I just, I have to jump all over that. Nah, probably not. In any event, that was uh, the game I was I had on last night, and I looked at the ratings. I was actually pretty surprised, and I'll be very interested to see what tonight's uh, ratings for t- the Monday night game will be. And uh, I didn't look at the other Sunday games. I did also see that other ratings on Fox were down because the NFL is usually a big lead-in. And they had baseball yesterday, so obviously there wasn't quite as much um, of a big audience, of a big lead-in. So shows like Bob's Burgers, which I've never once seen an episode of, I'm told it's okay, but I don't know. Uh, That was down. Family Guy was down uh, 27% over the previous week. The Simpsons were down. Uh, every, Every show was down. Every single show on Fox was down yesterday. So maybe it's just part of that whole thing. I don't know. But I have to tell you, from a lot of people I'm talking to, people aren't as into football. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that the product is inferior compared to what it was 20 years ago. It just is. There's more injuries. Every year, there's more injuries in the last three seasons than there were in the previous six. Maybe it's also the fact that there's guys that are playing in this league that just shouldn't be. I'm talking about Adrian Peterson, child abuser. I'm talking about guys like Ray McDonald and many of the other, and Ray Rice and many of the guys. Ray Rice isn't actually in the league right now, but he is looking for a job. But guys like that, domestic violence people that are still playing, that still have jobs in the NFL. How is that even possible? How is it that a guy can beat his wife and or girlfriend and still have a job in the NFL? How is it that Michael Vick still has a job? I understand Ben Roethlisberger, who incidentally is not a very good guy himself and had quite an interesting couple of incidents with women, although was never convicted of anything. But still, that douchebag. And then you've got uh, Michael Vick, who actually uh, had a dog fighting ring, who beat and electrocuted and bludgeoned to death and drowned animals. And I know many of you, when I talk about this, topic don't want to hear about it but you should hear about it and you should be outraged about it and you should tell the nfl how outraged you are about it that's a guy that is actually playing he is a quarterback for the pittsburgh steelers right now because of roethlisberger's injury michael vick convicted of those crimes incidentally is still playing in this league and i know whenever i do that rant about michael vick or about some of these other guys or Ray Lewis, who was involved in murder and played for many years thereafter, people say, well, you know, Michael Vick uh, did his time. He paid his dues to society. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm not saying you throw him back in jail, although I don't think his jail time was nearly enough. I'm not saying you throw him back in jail. I'm saying, why is he allowed to play in this league? Why can't the league set a standard of, oh, You murdered a bunch of animals. You engaged in a dogfighting ring. You were brutal to animals. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have a job in this league anymore. 
sorry, you shouldn't. Why can't the NFL set that kind of a standard? Or at least a standard of, oh, you abuse the hell out of women, Ray McDonald? You beat people? Yeah, you probably shouldn't have a job. I don't know if I were working at a place, if I'm working at some corporation someplace, and I get convicted of domestic violence, I'm probably going to lose my job. Now, I understand it's apples and oranges because the NFL is different. It's multi-billion dollar, blah, blah, blah. These are big stars, etc. Well, that's all well and good, but maybe that's part of the reason that the interest level in the NFL is a little bit lower. I know, I know, don't tell that to those fantasy sites. Don't tell that to FanDuel. Uh, don't tell that to those gambling sites and all that. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Draft Kings, don't tell that to them because they're making money hand over fist and people are still playing in, in that. But gambling is a completely different element. I mean, that's the only reason that the NFL has half of the audience that it does is because of gambling. Hell, that's the only reason that it has 90% of the audience it does. If, for whatever reason, you could not ever gamble under penalty of death on the NFL. Even that includes office pools, bar pools, any of that stuff. Draft Kings, FanDuel, any of that stuff. If you couldn't participate in any kind of gambling at all, no one would ever watch the NFL. It would be complete. It, it, the product itself is barely watchable anymore. Uh, you can't even touch people anymore. And I understand it's all about player safety and part of me commends that and I know that they're building better equipment and they're supposedly more committed to player safety in that league. And they've changed a lot of the rules to where you you can barely, you have to count to five Mississippi before you can even touch the quarterback. You can barely uh, hit anybody or tackle anybody anymore. Fundamental tackling is just uh, not nearly as good as it used to be in the league because of those rules and because of the concussion rules and all that. And I'm not saying all of that is bad, but what it has done, it has led to a much, well, a, a significantly inferior product as compared to that of 20 years ago. The ratings bear it out. Uh, the, the fan interest level sort of bears it out. There's always going to be a huge audience for the league because of gambling. The Super Bowl itself is just a massive event which has very little to do with football. It's just a giant television spectacle. So there's always going to be that aspect of it. The NFL is still going to be king in this country. Don't get me wrong. But it's just all of that stuff, is it, it's gotten to me. And I'll tell you, there's a radio host here in Phoenix, and I just have to say this. This is incredibly commendable. John Holmberg, who hosts Holmberg's Morning Sickness on 98 KUPD in Phoenix, Guy uh, is a noted Pittsburgh Steeler fan, huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan. He said before the season, if something were to happen and Ben Roethlisberger were to go down uh, and Michael Vick were to become the quarterback, he wouldn't watch Steeler games as long as Michael Vick's the quarterback. And he does a lot of work with charities that are related to dogs and he owns rescue dogs and rescue cats and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he's a big animal lover. And that's the stand that he takes. And there are people that ridiculed him and mocked him for that. But he uh, decided that he wasn't going to watch Steeler games and he wasn't going to root for the Steelers as long as Michael Vick was the quarterback. And I have to say, you can call that weird or not being a true fan or whatever. But the guy took a stand, be it ever so small a stand, 
it's still a stand. He took it. He's standing by it. And that's something commendable. There's sometimes more than just rooting for a team. Sometimes you have to be a decent human being. And part of being a decent human being is I am not going to root for a team that has a, a dog murderer on it. A guy that ran a dog fighting ring. Not going to root for it. Now, not everybody, there's a lot of guys that have made mistakes in the league. Okay, there's a lot of guys, maybe you're against people that do drugs. There's a lot of guys that have done drugs in the league. Steroids, marijuana, cocaine, whatever. Look, take your stand, whatever you want to take, but there are just certain things. Everybody makes mistakes. That's fine. I'm not saying you, you, all these people in the league are saints and that they're going to be. But there's a difference between making a mistake and running a dogfighting ring and abusing your wife, abusing your girlfriend, beating the crap out of somebody. There's a big difference between all of that. And I would never root for a guy that does that. I would never root for a guy that commits domestic violence. Hell, I have a hard time rooting for cheaters. Okay, guys that cheat the game. Like Tom Brady, for example. I have tremendous respect for Tom Brady in a lot of ways. But the fact that the guy, even ever so small of an infraction as it may be, it's hard for me to take him as seriously. Even though he's still an amazing player, amazing quarterback, still a Hall of Fame career regardless, I still see him as a little bit of a cheater. Just like it's not the same, but just like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is just, I would never root for that guy. Barry Bonds cheated for years and years and lied about it, uh, denied it to a grand jury, uh, eventually came out and he said, okay, yeah, I, I, took, I took stuff, but I didn't really know what I was taking. And that was the Barry Bonds defense, which of course is completely crap, that whole Balco thing. So that's my problem there. That's why if if Barry Bonds came to the Arizona Diamondbacks, like back when he was playing, if he ever was a part of the Diamondbacks, I would never root for the Diamondbacks. I couldn't have. Or the Twins. Or whatever team I was interested in. I could never have rooted for a team that had Barry Bonds on it. Never. And I wouldn't. You, know, you got to take a stand on something in life once in a while. And I'm sorry, but a person that kills animals and a person that abuses women, I'm not going to root for them. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't convicted in a court of law, but I think the guy's a douchebag. And you could say, well, Mike, maybe those women were, maybe they were out to, to take him for a ride. Maybe they were out to uh, try and get some money out of him. You know, I'm not saying that that never happens either, because that does happen. And that's been proven to happen. Uh, that woman that uh, tried to say that Kobe Bryant uh, raped her. Well, maybe, maybe he did and maybe he didn't. But then suddenly, uh, very mysteriously, a lot of things came out about her that, uh, you know, uh, made her look like perhaps she was more interested in a payday. So I'm saying, you know, that does happen. But let's be honest, athletes take a lot more liberties with women than women taking liberties with athletes. Let's be completely fair about it. Yeah, there are gold diggers out there. Yeah, there are bad people. But there's a lot of athletes that do bad things and think that they're going to get away with it. And that's where you have to take a stand. Simple as that. All right. So that's uh, that's the NFL situation. I don't know. I mean, I'm still watching. Don't get me wrong. Still there. But maybe if they get rid of Roger Goodell, that'll spike some interest. Roger Goodell, what a 
terrible commissioner he's turned out to be. That's the weird thing about the whole uh, deflate gate and spy gate and all these other scandals, bounty gate and all this other stuff that's come out. It turns out Roger Goodell is actually a pretty terrible commissioner. Pretty weak, pretty soft. And uh, some of the owners who used to like the guy and that obviously got him the job uh, now are kind of like, huh, I wonder, uh, <laughs> doesn't seem they have a lot of confidence in their commissioner anymore. So I wonder how long he's going to retain his job. I would love to see Roger Goodell out, but I don't know. There are still people that like the guy, so I guess we'll have to see ultimately. Anyway, break time. We have a lot more stuff still to get into on the show. There's still, uh, well, there's, there's probably some election stuff. There's political stuff to be bandied about. The big Democrat debate coming up. Bernie Sanders. May, uh, I guess Hillary Clinton might actually show up for a debate. I'll believe it when I see it. Bernie Sanders, uh, Tom O'Malley, other guys, maybe Joe Biden, maybe not. He still doesn't know if he's going to run, but they're begging him to show up. They want him to show up. So maybe, maybe we'll see a Grandpa Joe. We'll see uh, if he wants to show up or not. All right, all of that and more. We still have a lot to get into. We'll be back. Sometimes it's actually a good idea to check your sources. Here's San Francisco's KTVU Channel 2 News. We have new information now also on the plane crash. KTVU has just learned the names of the four pilots who were on board the flight. They are Captain Sum Ting Wong, We Too Low, Ho Li Fook, and Bang Ding Ao. The NTSB has confirmed these are the names of the pilots on board Flight 214 when it crashed. We are working to determine exactly what roles each of them played during the landing on Saturday. This lesson in Journalism 101 brought to you by your friends at the Zip Code Famous, Michael Groff Show. Holy Fook. I caught a chill and it's still frozen on my skin. I think about why I'm alone. show on a Monday. It's October 12th, 2015. Contact information for the program, groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. That's also the PayPal address for this program. Donate to us because, yeah, I'm trying to get a new computer, actually. I'm trying to get something uh, better to produce more exciting shows, a faster uh, computer. This thing that I have here is, uh, I mean, it's been, it's been good, but... You know, it's about seven years old, so I've uh, upgraded as much of it as I possibly can over the years. So, your donations help with this program. Groffshow@gmail.com on PayPal. Also, Michael Groff, the handle on Twitter, and MichaelGroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. Um, and of course, you can always leave your comments, your messages, anything like that. 
Uh, Grom Show on G Talk also. You can send messages direct that way. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. We respond to everything, basically, on air, off air, whatever, at some point, including the death threats, so you can always keep those coming in. Yeah, even the death threats. I don't care. Um, so on Friday, there was a big, uh, well, not I, I don't want to call it a big deal. The media, of course, jumped on it and said it was a mass shooting. Because anytime now that there's a shooting, the media wants to tell you that it's a mass shooting, even if it's not. But uh, there are three people injured, one dead in Northern Arizona University. Yes, Northern Arizona University. It's uh, the other university in this state. There's ASU, U of A, and then NAU. Um, I didn't even know that people had guns at NAU. I thought it was just a, a university you went to to smoke weed. Uh, chill out, hug some trees. I, I have been to the NAU campus one time in my life, and the students there, everyone there is just the most mellow person imaginable. Flagstaff, Arizona is just full of the most mellow people, cool people, nice people, and so you wouldn't expect a shooting at NAU, but there it was. Evidently, some sort of dispute in a parking lot. I don't think it was one of these things where some guy had a manifesto and decided just to go ape crap. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't have all the uh, latest details on that. But as last I heard, it was just a thing where somebody, something got heated, some people got shot, and that's how that goes. Uh, I know there was the mass shooting. There was a mass shooting in Oregon. There was a bunch of other stuff. There's been several incidents over the last few weeks. And of course, immediately the issue that comes up is, once again, the gun control stuff. I get it. I understand that that is the reactionary thing. As soon as there is a crime involving guns, we need to ban all guns. I, I get it. Uh, that's not rational. It's not sane. But I understand that people are, we are a reactionary society. And that's the first thing we blame is people have way too much unfettered access to guns. And so because of that, that's why we have these mass shootings. Again, that is the myopic view. But if you actually take a look at it and you really get down into it a little bit further, most of the people that are involved in these types of shootings, it goes all the way back to Fort Hood. It goes back to, uh, what's the, what was that guy? James Holmes, the theater shooter uh, from uh, Aurora, Colorado. All of these other guys, the, the Middletown, Connecticut, all these. The common theme, Jared Loeffner in Tucson, the common theme for all of these is that the people that are involved are mentally unstable. Now, I know you could argue that anybody that shoots another person for anything other than self-defense is mentally unstable. Not necessarily. There are people that engage in road rage. There are people that have heat of the moment type of things. And their escalation in their brain is a little bit more than other people. But they're not necessarily mentally unstable. They're not necessarily people that are that are crazy ordinarily but they had a moment where they went and did something stupid and now have to pay for it for the rest of their lives there are people though that are disturbed individuals the jared loftner case where he shot uh congresswoman gabby giffords among nine other people killed nine other people in tucson back in 2011 that was a mentally unstable person that was a person that had a lot of problems growing up was on a host of psychotropic drugs growing up and was in and out of uh, various uh, psychologist's office and all this other nonsense uh, while he was growing up. And 
there were a lot of warning signs that he was up to something and people said this guy is ready to flip out and nobody did anything. He received mental health care, but it was very poor. It was inadequate, obviously, because he went and shot up a shopping center and shot a congresswoman, almost killed her. He did kill nine other people. It's not because we have access to guns that he did it. It's because he's a mentally unstable person. Whether we had access to guns in this country or not, he would have found a way to get one and committed his crime in all likelihood because that's what mentally unstable people do. If they have it in their mind that they're going to do something crazy, a law isn't going to stop them from doing something crazy. But that's the rhetoric we inevitably get whenever these mass shootings happen. Oh, we need to crack down on guns. Why do you need an assault rifle? It's always that kind of talk. We really just need better mental health care. Probably better health care. But I mean, in this case, in this context of the conversation, we need better mental health care. Uh, We need somebody that sees somebody that's doing something weird and that's a little bit wacky. And we need to pull that person aside and say, hey, uh, are you okay?" We need to have serious mental evaluation for people. And it starts at a young age. And the problem in our country right now is we are reactionary. That's always been the problem with our healthcare system, mental health care or whatever. We are reactionary instead of preventative. So we see somebody do something weird and we just, we react. And since we're America and since we always look for the cheapest and easiest, not necessarily the best solution, our our answer is, ah, let's pump them full of drugs. Let's pump them full of pharmaceuticals because, well, the healthcare industry is ruled by the big pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies, and they look for the most cost-effective way, not necessarily the best way to treat something. So we pump people full of kids, especially, full of pharmaceutical psychotropic drugs. And then we wonder why people grow up to be nut jobs. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand because inevitably somebody gets a hold of me after this and says, you know, I was on psychotropic medication and it worked for me. Okay, I get it. I'm not saying all psychotropic drugs are bad. I'm not saying Prozac is bad necessarily. I'm not saying that uh, whatever, whatever your drug that you're on or that you've used and it helped you. I'm not saying that it's bad. If it helped you, obviously it worked out okay. But the fact of the matter is, A hundred years ago, we didn't have a a giant chunk of our youth on psychotropic meds. And guess what? They didn't grow up to shoot up schools and and blow stuff up and, and bring pipe bombs to school and this kind of thing. Obviously, something has changed. The landscape of the mental health care industry has changed significantly and not necessarily for the better when it comes to these types of issues. And so it's not because we have assault rifles and pistols and shotguns and weapons in this country that we have mass shootings. It is because we have inferior mental health care. That's why it happens. Believe me, if you dropped uh, a bunch of of guns into the hands of, uh, I don't know, the British or what have you, uh, if you did, it would be a completely different story because mental health care is treated a little bit more seriously in other countries than it is here. Yeah, we have mental health care, but 
It's quantity versus quality, and that's the problem. And it's clear because we are having these incidents happen more and more. And I'm not talking about just some dude killing some other guy in neighborhood X in town someplace. I'm not talking about that. Murder happens. Doesn't matter where you live in the world. Doesn't matter what uh, town, what city. Murders happen. People get heated. I'm not talking about uh, you know heat of the moment, crimes of passion. I'm uh, I'm not even necessarily talking about premeditated, where a guy plans to kill his wife or somebody, you know, they kill their spouse, whatever. I'm talking about somebody that directly goes out and commits one of these mass shootings, almost. Inevitably, almost every single one of them, the, the connection to the crime is they have had improper mental health care. They've been dosed up with a bunch of psychotropic drugs without even really analyzing what's wrong with them, how they got to be the way they are. Do they have a terrible childhood? Is it environmental? Do they have a legitimate chemical imbalance in their brain? Did the fact that we pumped them full of Adderall cause the, the problems in the first place? I mean, HDD is the most commonly prescribed, it's one of the most commonly prescribed mental health ailments among children. I mean, it used to be we just called that a kid can't pay attention. You know, and you just sat them down and said, hey, look, pay attention, dumbass. And then they paid attention. Now we pump them full of drugs. I mean, what do you think is going to happen when you take a nine-year-old child whose brain is still developing and you shove Adderall in it or you shove something else in it? Again, please, not saying that everyone that takes Adderall is going to wind up shooting up a school. I'm saying that, hey, maybe there's a better approach than taking children children mind you that are still developing and shove drugs down their throat when uh, that seems to be the first reaction nowadays which is disturbing but that's the nature of pharmaceutical mental health care in this country right now and pill first sort of reactionary diagnosis and it's not just me saying this listen you don't have to believe me talk to respected people go out do some research for yourself I mean, just look at the mass shooters. You'll see almost all of these people, the, the common thread is that. Kids pump full of drugs when they were... Not every single one of them. Listen, some people are just nut jobs. You also have to accept the fact that no matter what you do, there are just going to be assholes, whack jobs, nutcases out there. No matter how you raise your kids, regardless of what you do, sometimes... I'm sure Hitler's parents were not really terrible people. I don't think they were. But look, the guy grew up to be uh, Hitler. So <laughs> I think there was a lot of other things going on there that influenced things. So uh, I'm just saying we take a look at it that way. Guns are not necessarily bad. In fact, sometimes, and I know people hate when I mention this, but there are times where guns actually, I don't know, prevent crimes. Let me just give you case in point of the day. Uh, this I think this is Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, there's a Waffle House. Uh, the crew was just preparing for their morning routine. And suddenly, a guy showed up to rob the place. A customer decided that he was having none of that. And he opened fire in the North Charleston eatery, thwarting and fatally shooting uh, the would-be robber on Saturday. The young man who 
tried to rob the restaurant, was rushed to Medical University Hospital. He was later pronounced dead. According to Angela Johnson, uh, let's see, the intervening customer who has not been identified had a permit to carry the pistol, authorities said. A restaurant employee expressed his gratitude to the customer, saying, quote, he saved us. That's what he did. And one of the uh, officers said this, It quote, it says something about firearms. For uh, good people with firearms being in the right place. So this happened around 5 a.m. on Saturday morning at a Waffle House in Charleston, South Carolina. So a guy, a customer, just happened to be at the right place at the right time, carrying his gun legally. And a guy tried to rob the place and he got shot. There, there you go. Sometimes, I'm sure anybody else that was in the restaurant, certainly the people that were working there, I'm sure they were very thankful. Well, they were because they said just as much. So sometimes guns actually prevent crime. So I know all the memes and all the crazies out there will tell you otherwise. The the ultra liberals out there. But uh, there you go. In your face. Speaking of crazy, possibly one of the best defenses I've ever heard for a crime. Well, one of the wackiest anyway going on in Hawaii. Now, I actually thought in Hawaii, um, the amount of mentally crazy people, I I didn't really think that there were many there. I just thought people went down there, hung out, had luau's, uh, wore their grass skirts, had their little fruity drinks with the umbrellas in them, went surfing, smoked some weed. I don't know. I I really thought that Hawaii was a chill-out place. Maybe not. A man accused of slaying his landlord in Nanawale Estates almost three years ago said that hip-hop mogul Jay-Z possessed his body at the time. This is a part of testimony from two psychologists who examined the man and they're trying to determine his fitness for trial. I mean, right away, if you hear that and you're a judge, I don't even have to be a judge or a lawyer or a psychologist in this case. I already know this guy should be locked away. See, this is the kind of stuff we're wasting time on somebody like this. Anyway, psychologist Dr. Duke Wagner said that the rapper and music mogul, quote, has been a constant figure in the world of 39-year-old Jason Russell Jump, who's accused of second-degree murder for allegedly bludgeoning James V. Johns, a 54-year-old wheelchair user, to death with a sharp instrument in a tool shed in John Seaview Road property on December 16, 2012. Wagner testified Friday in Hilo District Court that Jump said authorities should, quote, put Jay-Z in prison for the murder of James Johns and put other Illuminati who've been attacking Jump in prison, too. Okay, well, there you go. See, that, that tells you all it needs to say about this guy and his mental state, doesn't it? The contested fitness hearing requested by Jump's court-appointed attorney, uh, Stanton Oshiro, is because examiners are split two to one in favor of finding Jump, who was previously found unfit for trial, to be fit for trial. You're going to tell me that a guy that says Jay-Z has possessed his body and that uh, really Jay-Z should be the one on trial along with other Illuminati, you don't think... That guy is, 
You actually think that guy's fit for trial. And you can say, well, Mike, maybe he's making it up. Maybe he's making up the fact that he's crazy. Um, nobody makes up something like that. People make up a lot of crazy things. I don't think somebody goes, yeah, man, Jay-Z and other Illuminati are possessing my body and uh, I'm getting crazy radio signals. Those are the kind of people that, you know, uh, you're controlling my thoughts, man. Stop it. <laughs> that kind of guy. Jump, who is confined at uh, Hawaii State Hospital, was present for the hearing. He did not testify, but occasionally he leaned over to talk to Oshiro during proceedings. Wagner opined that Jump is unfit for trial. He said that Jump suffers from uh, persecutorial delusional disorder and said that he doesn't believe Jump is uh, faking his symptoms. Well, no. I mean, who's going to make that up? There's a fascinating trial. Why am I never on a jury like that? If you've ever had jury duty, you know it's always for just boring crap. It's for stuff like, yeah, I got pulled over for DUI. Well, were you, did you have anything to drink? Well, you know, I had three drinks. Uh, I blew a .09, but I don't think the test was right. I'm fighting it in this. Uh, that's why we're here, Your Honor. Yeah, you're guilty. Just pay the goddamn thing. I mean, that's really, it's like, that's the kind of case you get. Or you get something really boring and really technical. Well, uh, the radar gun may have actually been malfunctioning because uh, this manufacturer did sell, uh, uh, there was known to be a, a recall of around 20 radar guns. So, I mean, we can't necessarily say if you were going a felony speed or not. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things. In any event, that'd be a fascinating trial to be a part of. You can never get that on jury duty. It's always the most boring stuff. I haven't had to do jury duty in about 10 years now, so that's, that's all right. Most of the time, you just sit there anyway and just wait for a case, and then you don't get one, and you've spent eight hours sitting there, so then they pay you like 15 bucks. That's what your service is worth, apparently. Unless you're on a, a long trial, maybe they pay you a bit more. I don't know if it's changed over the last 10 or 12 years. Maybe it's more now. Maybe they pay like 20 bucks a day. I don't know. 20 bucks a day? That would probably be more than what I make now. I wish I was kidding. I don't think... Actually, I do make more than 20 bucks a day. But if they... If the state decides that they're going to pay you 30 bucks a day for, for jury duty, I'm going down. I'm doing jury duty every day. All right. On that note, grovshow at gmail.com. That's the PayPal if you want to... Uh, really help out a, a poor, struggling radio show host. That's me. All right. We'll be back. There's more of the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show coming up. Michael Groff. The Zip Code Famous. Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com. Do you really Maybe I'm the one who is the schizophrenic psycho. 
It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Monday, October 12th, 2015. Groffshow at gmail.com, email address, as well as our PayPal. Michael Groff on Twitter, michaelgroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. And we talked about people that are crazy earlier in the show. This dude, the puddle of mud guy, a Wesley Scantlin. I think it was last year, he kind of had his little nutty freak out moment. Now, he didn't do anything crazy like a mass shooting or anything, but he actually did something that we all want to do, and that is he got on the... Um, so, you know those uh, the the baggage carousels at the airport that go around and around? He got on one of those. He took one of those for a ride, but I guess he went on one into a restricted area, and I think that they frown on that. So he got arrested or something like that. So <laughs> he went a little bit crazy. I think he is on meds. or something. I don't know exactly what the deal is with him, but uh, obviously not a not a sane thing to do. song kind of takes me back uh, a little trip down memory lane too still a lot of stuff to get into I am um, I have to say there's a great number of my friends that are starting to get on the Bernie Sanders bandwagon and I have not seen anything like this in a while, but there's a lot of people. I am being sold hard. It's a hard sell by several people I know to get in on the Bernie Sanders bandwagon. I, I was actually having a conversation uh, with my mother about this over the weekend. She goes, I hope you don't. I hope she would like disown me as a son. I think I'd be written out of the will. As it is, my brother's like, this is the weird thing. This is the weird kind of family dynamic that goes on. So whenever we're out to dinner, wherever we get together at a social event, we're at a bar, we're at a restaurant, whatever. If politics come up, here's what happens. So my mom and her boyfriend of 18 years, they're both kind of conservatives. He's like really conservative. My mom is sort of, well, she's Republican, but she's a little less conservative. Like she doesn't have a meltdown if somebody has a tattoo. All like it. She doesn't like tattoos and she doesn't like, you know, to see that kind of stuff. But I think she's she can live with that. Um, I'm serious. My, my mom is definitely a conservative person. All right. Then there's my brother who is a, a pretty liberal guy. Not ultra liberal. He's not um, he's not way out far left socialist liberal, but he's definitely a liberal guy. He spent um, better part of 15 years ish in the media as a, as a reporter, as a journalist, uh, whatever. So then there's me, who's sort of the kind of liberal guy who sort of is kind of moderate, takes pot shots at both sides. So it makes for a very interesting sort of situation. Whatever happens is usually my brother takes some shots at Republicans. Um, my mom and her boyfriend, they you know sort of snipe back a little bit at uh, liberal people. I sort of snipe at both. And then my brother gets really quiet. And then... We just, and then that's it. That's the end of the political discussion usually right about there. Um, 
I don't know. It's always weird because it's it's three very different perspectives that are going on there. There's the conservative, there's the liberal, then there's me. And I don't even know exactly what I am anymore. I I have to say, and I, I've had numerous conversations like this over the last um, probably year or two. It is really tough for me to align myself with any specific party. Uh, when I became registered to vote, I was uh, a registered libertarian. Uh, that was That seemed to be the party that most closely represented me. But as time has gone on, first of all, the libertarian party in this state is kind of wacky. And by kind of wacky, I mean they're completely wacky. Some very nice people in the party, Barry Hess, who has run for governor 1,100 times in the state, he's a really nice dude, like really nice, super nice and super cool, not at all radical, really nice. Problem is a lot of the people that are in the party with him are kind of whack jobs. They're a little bit scary. These are the people that always make it a point to let you know that they're bringing their guns to Libertarian Party headquarters on election night. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm saying. I have no problem. Carry your gun, whatever. Bring it to headquarters. I just don't understand why you need to let everyone know you're doing that. I get it. You're for the Second Amendment. So am I. So are most sane people. But at the same time, look, dude, uh, you don't need to make a public spectacle that you're bringing your guns to Libertarian Party headquarters on election night. We get it. You have an AK. We get it. You have a, you have an MP5. Okay, you got an HK. Great. I, I'm happy for you. I Hey, I'm a proud gun owner myself, but... If you think I'm ever going to bring a gun to party headquarters or with me to an election place, uh, to a polling place or something like that, you've got another thing coming. It's just not going to happen. Okay, calm down. (laughs) So but the libertarian and also the libertarian party in this state has always been really lazy. Uh, I don't think I have ever. No, one time shortly after I became registered to vote. In 1995, I probably right at the very end of the year, because my birthday is almost at the end of the year, right at the very end of the year, I did get something from the Libertarian Party. That is literally the only thing I have ever received from the Arizona Libertarians. When I was in Florida, I, I saw more Libertarian literature in a year and a half uh, than I did in... Well, then I have in the last 20 years living in Arizona. And this is supposedly a libertarian kind of state. This is supposedly a very conservative slash libertarian kind of state. Never has this party bothered to send me anything here. The other thing is, I mean, they've just kind of gotten really wacky. They have made almost the entire party platform about legalizing marijuana. And don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. I welcome it. I'm glad we have two states that have legalized marijuana, Colorado and Washington, and a lot of medical marijuana states. And and it's an important issue, but it's not the only issue. That is literally their number one issue that they're always talking about here. I almost feel like if this state legalizes it, which I think they will eventually, we already have medical marijuana. If they legalize it, I think the Libertarian Party in this state is just going to fold up and, and be done. They'll be like, all right. We accomplished what we wanted to do. We're out. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man. I, um, so I, it's hard for me to, I, I still have some views that are very libertarian. 
Um, I am all for getting out of the stupid foreign wars that we're involved in and sending troops to die pointlessly, needlessly, unnecessarily in Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever. And it, meddling around in the affairs of other countries and then wondering why those countries hate us like Iran. And don't get me wrong. Iran is a bunch of whack jobs. Don't uh, don't confuse what I'm saying here. I'm not saying it's all our fault, but we are partly to blame. We really are. We messed around. We meddled with all these governments, meddled with Egypt and Iran and Iraq. And then we wonder why we have these weird governments and these people that don't like us because we're screwing around with their leadership and with their governments. And then we send bombs and troops and tanks and all this other stuff over there. So don't be surprised when they don't like us. All right. So anyway, a lot of people, my point in all of this is that a lot of people are really trying to sell me on Bernie Sanders. And the guy does say things that I agree with. Not everything. But he does say things I agree with. He's another guy that wants to get us out of these uh, foreign wars. The only two candidates, by the way, that are running, I mentioned this on the other show too, uh, the other day, and I don't want to belabor this too much, but the only two guys that want to kind of back off on the military and back off on, on all this foreign nonsense that we're doing, only two, Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders. That's it. Everyone else is all raw, raw military. Let's have more tanks and more bombs and more nukes and more, more, more. And let's spend more. We don't spend nearly enough on the military, some of these guys say. Because they want you to go under the guise of, uh, oh, man, the, the boogeyman, the terrorist is out to get me. Which is silly. They always have some in it. You know, China, the big bad China is going to get us. The big bad terrorist is going to get us. The big bad ragheads are going to get us. You know, come on, let's... Can we maybe stop all the rhetoric already? All right. I mean, we spend enough on the military as it is. Speaking of something that we spend enough money on as it is. So some states started have started a program over the last few years where they want to drug test people that are on government assistance, social assistance programs such as welfare and all this. There are some states where that actually passed and they drug test people that are receiving services such as welfare, which I just think is kind of silly. I know it sounds fun and it sounds cool to, to do that. I, I realize people are like, well, if these people are going to be on welfare, we should drug test them because as you know, this is what people will say, as you know, anyone on welfare, most of those people, they just use that money for drugs and they use it for uh, a beer and all this other stuff. They, they could get off welfare if they just stopped taking all the drugs. That's what we're always told by, uh, well, it's usually the yeehaw cousin humping conservative types that tell you that um, it's welfare people that all they do with that money is spend it on drugs. So let's look at the data, shall we? The state of Tennessee has, this is the first year, they've just completed their first year of drug testing recipients uh, of welfare. And they uncovered that less than 0.2% of all applicants for the state's public assistance program tested positive for drugs. Now, I'm sure there's some of you out there, some of you necks are going to be like, well, see, that means it worked. Okay. 
Well, the math behind it is, first of all, they spent over, they've spent like millions of dollars on this program. Of all of the recipients of welfare, all of the applicants, more than 30,000 people, 55 people tested positive for drugs out of the entire pool. A whopping 0.19% of those who applied for aid were using drugs. Ultimately, 32 applicants were denied benefits for failing to complete the state's mandatory drug rehab process uh, when you test positive. So 32 people were ultimately denied, which is like 0.10 or 0.11%. Unbelievable. All of that money spent in a program that's yielding almost no results. But, of course, the yeehaws get that push through because they're like, we're going to test you. Yeah, you're going to take that government assistance, so we're going to make sure that you pay in a cup and you ain't doing drugs. Well, as it turns out, basically none of them are. So maybe we can end that ridiculous program. And maybe we can save a couple of million bucks from the states that have implemented that dumb thing. Whose brilliant idea was that in the first place? Well, if you're receiving welfare, you should have to take a drug test. That's just dumb. There was never any indication that just because you're on welfare, it means you're more likely to do drugs. That's just ridiculous. It's a dumb stereotype. I can't believe that a law got passed because of a stupid stereotype. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people on the welfare system that aren't abusing it. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't look into people that are on welfare. But have you looked at the economy? Again, I have to emphasize this point. We have had a terrible economy for quite a while. Unemployment is pretty high still. And of course, you understand the unemployment number that's out right now is actually higher than what it says. Because how unemployment works is after two years... Of unemployment, after 99 weeks of receiving your unemployment benefits, if you're still not employed, you fall off the, the roll. You're not counted in the unemployment statistic anymore. So there are people that have been off the unemployment dole for quite a while that are still not employed, but they're not counted in the statistic. So that should tell you something right there. But, you know, and then the, so the unemployment number is, is higher and uh, the, the welfare number, I understand, again, there are abusive cases. There are people that commit fraud. And that number is probably higher than the number of people doing drugs in the system. Maybe you look into the people that are committing welfare fraud first before you start making sure everyone that's on welfare pees in a cup. What a dumb idea. I would just love to know the first guy to come up with that. You know, I get it. Yeah, we go, man. We gonna go after them, uh, them druggies, cause everybody that's on welfare is a damn, damn drug head, a damn pothead, a crackhead, and all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, Jethro, settle down over there. Okay. <sighs> all right. So there's, uh, there's some numbers for you on that. Uh, what else is going on, man? We just, uh, I think we've covered everything covered everything that needs to be covered and it's all been satirized and whatnot so another show in the books I think we can safely head on out the door
don't know. We mostly stayed away from politics tonight. Mostly. It was mostly just a show about crazy people. The insanity and, of course, speaking of crazy people, the NFL, too, and Roger Goodell. So it really was a show about crazy people tonight. Christopher Columbus. Some great people. All different levels of crazy were on the show tonight. The Wesley Scantlin from Puddle of Mud. It went from that level to Roger Goodell all the way over to Christopher Columbus. <laughs> well, I don't know if he was so much crazy as he was just a... Um, just a criminal, really. An international terrorist, if you will. All right. I want to thank everybody for the kind words and the nice thoughts after our show on Friday. Really do appreciate that. Keep those coming in. More shows to come as uh, we continue to spit these out for you. Um, Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. Groffshow at gmail.com. I should probably have an at Michael Groff email. That would probably sound better than using Gmail, but I'll work on it, okay? That's also the PayPal address, by the way, groffshow at gmail.com. Your generous donations are always appreciated. Michael Groff, the handle on Twitter. And for everything else that could possibly be Michael Groff related, you can go to michaelgroff.com. New shows are posted. You can comment on these shows. You can listen to old stuff. You can, you can, I don't know, look at some of my nudes that are up there. All sorts of great stuff. It's all at the one and only michaelgraff.com. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.